Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Uh, Father, we come uh, before you today uh, to find rest in you, to glorify you, to worship you, to hear from your word, to commune with you, to commune with your saints, uh, and to, to grow closer uh, through preaching, through study. Uh, Lord, fill our hearts. Uh, send your Holy Spirit to turn us towards you. Through Jesus Christ, amen. So I can't remember what the title of the thing is. Is it up here? Uh, God's prime attribute is independence. Um, so I think it's sometimes, last week I talked about God's simplicity and uh, what that is and, and why that's important and how and what are the practical implications of that. So sometimes I think it's just good to directly talk about God's attributes. And so sometimes we're up here, well, not sometimes, every time we're up here we're alluding to or talking about something about God, which implies an attribute uh, or a characteristic or, or what he is like. And so I think sometimes it's just good to define those and, uh, and flesh those out scripturally. Um, because like when we talk about, uh, let's just say God's uh, omnipotence, he is all-powerful, right? We could define that, we can say that, but you know, all throughout prayers and the Psalms and all throughout the New Testament, uh, Stephen's speech when before he gets, spo- before he gets stoned uh, is all laid you know, in the background of God's omnipotence. Of he is the one who uh, changes nations and he's powerful and he can do it and, and all these things. And so all these characteristics are always, uh, or sometimes just in the background, but I think it's sometimes just uh, good to directly talk about them, define them, and then the obvious outcome is what we ought to do about it. And so uh, today I kind of want to lead into, I'll probably do this for the next few times that I'm uh, up here speaking at the 930, because um, we've kind of gotten away from that. We haven't done our systematic theology class in like three years or something, four years, I don't know, five years. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Uh, but, and so we kind of get away sometimes. It's very hard if you would just to take a step back and think about what a church ought to be and what a person ought to be in the Lord and just think about how to do that all. Like, and it's hard. Uh, you got to study. You got to read the word. You should pray, have spiritual disciplines, uh, go to work, be a good worker, uh, be part of a family, live in community. And you're supposed to do all these things, and it would just be impossible to do, apart from the grace of God, but uh, especially when it comes to, as a community, as a body of people, uh, learning and studying together, uh, that would be really hard to do if it's just on Sunday mornings uh, for two hours, for two 45-minute slots. Most people get way more indirect teaching throughout the week uh, opposed to that. And so uh, all that to say is um, hopefully someday we'll, soon we'll do a, another systematic theology course. Um, I'm currently reading through a systematic theology in, in preparation for these. Uh, a guy named Petrus uh, Van Maastricht, who was a, he wasn't a Puritan, he was uh, born 20 years before Descartes died. And so a lot of his, which was like the 1600s, and so a lot of his, his 
reasoning and thought process is combating Cartesian logic uh, and Cartesian philosophy. So it's interesting to read in the height of that how he is combating, combating these humanistic philosophies. Uh, it was Descartes that, that um, popularized the saying that, that God has died. Was that Nietzsche? That was Nietzsche. So that was, that was years later, but Descartes was kind of a prelude to that. And so uh, Maastricht is a German um, uh, theologian, and he's kind of in the height of Cartesian philosophy, and it's interesting to read just because now we're in the wake of like 400 years of that, and we don't really talk about Descartes' philosophy very much. There you go. Petrus van Maastricht, or Maastricht. Uh, I've been actually, I've been trying to find another book of his. Just if anybody can find it, I really want to read it because he references it several times in this uh, systematic theology. It's called uh, the, uh, the Gangrene of Cartesian Innovation. Uh, and so I haven't found an English version, uh, but it'd be interesting. I'd love to read that. Um, so anyways... Sometimes we just need to talk directly about God's attributes and what he's like, right? Um, because we're kind of uh, in a culture where we, uh, that's, that's kind of, uh, our natural world is kind of going against who God is all the time. And so, uh, and because what we believe, at the very least, influences what we do. And so if we can, um, sometimes it's just a military strategy is to just know exactly who your enemy is and then fight them. And so uh, if we know exactly God's attributes, we know exactly what we ought to do about it. And it opens up uh, uh, maybe some uh, areas in our life where we need to rethink or, or re-examine. And so we're not going to go looking for proof text uh, about the attributes of God here or about God's um, independence or aseity is another term for it. Because uh, there's far too many to list, but we're mainly going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3, uh, where in the burning bush, where uh, Moses comes to him and, and gives him the, what we call the tetragrammaton, uh, which is translated Jehovah or Jehovah Yahweh, um, and what that means. And so I also want to look at uh, God's independence, and it's really hard for me to describe this, but as a standard. Um, or the primary attribute that holds all the other attributes together. And I don't mean holds all the other attributes together in opposition to what I said last week about God's simplicity, where he's uh, a simple being, he is his essence, and it's all together, not separated in parts. But I mean that it doesn't make sense without his independence or his aseity. Uh, and you can make more sense of his other attributes when you understand his independence. And so it's an, it's an it's a prime sense as it's implied in Scripture as the first attribute that's implied in Scripture in creation. Mrs. Brown? Aseity. Aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. A-S-I-E-T-Y. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Oh. Yeah, so independence is self-existence. He is 
independent. He is not dependent on any other. Uh, he is dependent in and of himself. And so some of God's attributes we say are uh, negative attributes. As we can't describe them positively of what they are, we have to des describe them in a negative sense of what God is not. Right, so um, is anybody, uh, is everybody finite? Is everybody here finite? I think so. Okay, I just want to make sure because maybe we have some infinite beings in here, uh, but I just wasn't sure. Uh, I had to, eternal, but not infinite. We didn't go before. And so infinite is, uh, we, don't, we don't understand that concept. We can think about it in our heads, but we can't really relate to it in any sense, except for that we are finite, and we know that, and we know that God is infinite. And so the same thing goes for independence. Um, uh, well, we'll, get, we'll come around to that, but so all of God's attributes uh, kind of rely or, or hold together in his independence or his aseity. So we talked about uh, uh, like God's infinitude. God is infinite. And so if he wasn't self-existent and infinite in his own being, then if there was another outside being, then he wouldn't be, he would no longer be independent. He would then be dependent uh, for his infinitude. Same thing with simplicity. If he was divided up into parts uh, or, uh, or if he wasn't one complete being, there would be another one or another parts to him. And so then he would then be dependent on that. And so... Uh, he is not that. Uh, his immutability, if he, could, if he could be changed, it would be changed by an uh, outside force and then thus be dependent on that outside force and then wouldn't be independent. And so um, life, uh, uh, life independent of all, all others or all others. And so God is life. Life is in him. He holds all life. And so if there was life in another or if he depended on his life or his whatever life is on an outside being or creature or aspect or power or anything, he would no longer be independent. And so all of that, just to say, is his independence and a right theology of that holds together how we understand all of his other attributes, right? Um, and so sometimes when we study uh, theology, we just have like these dry philosophical uh, ideas, and we kind of want to get away from that. Um, since I've been reading a couple uh, systematic theologies lately, it's um, even like you, everyone wonders, like they study something and they're like, okay, that was cool. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? What's the point, right? Is it just to have a better picture of God's attributes in my head? Well, I don't see anything in Scripture that just points to that, but that that leads to uh, how it works out in our life. And it's not supposed to be dry. Uh, it's not, we're not supposed to come to studying God nonchalantly or with a casual attitude. And so as we get into our text in Exodus 3, uh, we're going to read chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. When Moses is approaching the burning bush and God starts speaking to him, does anybody remember what's the first thing God tells him? Take off your shoes, relax a while, come chill out. No, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. Don't you dare approach me in an unworthy way. And do not come near, right? Don't come near, 
and take off your shoes, right? Don't approach uh, in an unworthy way. Don't just come in nonchalantly, right? So Exodus 3, 13 through 15 says, when Moses said to God, um, this is after he told him a couple things, so we're, I'm just kind of uh, picking out a few verses here. Uh, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Right? That would be a good question to ask. Uh, Israel is in Egypt. They're in slavery. They've been in slavery for 400 years. They worship uh, a poly... Uh, they have a polytheistic culture, so there's multiple gods. And I don't think they're asking which one is he. They're asking what's his name, because they're asking something else. Moses is implying that they'd be asking something else about his character. Moses says, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say, to, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so very particularly, when it says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain, this is the name, uh, which Exodus talks about in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Don't take God's name in a light way. And so as part of the command, uh, one of the highest commandments of, uh, of that God instills in, into his people is not taking his name, his attributes, the study of him, talking about him in a light way, right? And so what, are, what do we do when we do theology? We're talking about God. So don't take it lightly. It's not supposed to be just this dry, nonchalant, we'll get the things right and and affirm them and move on. It's supposed to change us, right? And so, uh, in this, God's essence is partly made known to us by his names and partly by his attributes. And so usually his, his names include uh, his attributes, like El, El Shaddai. Does anybody know what El Shaddai means? The prefix El means God. Shaddai means almighty. We don't have a whole lot of Amy Grant fans in here, I guess. I guess no one's really old enough to know Amy Grant or know that song. Google El Shaddai, Amy Grant. You'll get it. You guys can do it later. Uh, and so he's saying something, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. He's saying something about him when he gives us one of his names. So Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So here again, God is saying something about him. A primary, primary attribute is of him is he always was. He is not dependent or needing anyone or anything else. Right? God is the absolute first being. We see that in Genesis where it says, in the beginning, God created. And you can go to other parts of scripture where it, uh, like in Job, um, and in some of the Psalms, it describes some of the things that went on in creation, how God, you know, maybe conferred or counseled with some angels and some other things were going on. Uh, but it doesn't seem pertinent to give us a whole lot of information about what was going on before creation, except that Jesus tells us that the Father and the Son were in unity and were together, uh, and before anything existed, they were, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he is the first cause. There's no, one, there's no other who caused or would cause God. And so in God's independence, we're not just looking that he doesn't depend in some way on another, but that he's self-existent and he's the first cause of everything. Absolutely everything. So in the very nature of independence, like we really don't have any such concept. I kind of said that earlier is we only have like small humanly things we can be independent in, right? Uh, we've never experienced independence, right? Uh, even in our great war for independence, we are independent from another to be part of one, one other nation. You weren't ever independent from your own nation. And so uh, we have to kind of take this as God's essence uh, is not perceivable, but God's, we, can, we can't perceive the essence of who God is, but his essence, uh, we can describe it. And we can perceive who God is. And so um, you could be independent from your mom. You could not live in her basement. You could not eat her food. You can, you can move out and you're independent from your mom uh, or something. And you're living on your own and you're finally what they call dependent, right? You're, uh, if you file taxes as a, as a parent or guardian, you're filing and you're claiming as many dependents as you can so you can get as much of the money back that the government took from you, right? Amen. Uh, so when you move out, you are no longer a dependent. You are independent from your mom or your dad, but you're not independent. You rely on a lot of things. You rely on, uh, hopefully, like, when I go to the grocery store, I don't need anyone to tell me to go buy groceries, so I'm independent in that sense. But I'm very much dependent that there were farmers, that there are people who pick crops, that the grocery store is open. Uh, and I'm very much dependent on a lot of things to go get groceries. And so we're never, ever truly dependent uh, in any real sense. We can be relationally dependent uh, or situationally dependent, but we can never be independent. And so even, uh, even in, in the most independent we can ever be in any sense, we're still dependent on air, on gravity, and on the forces of nature that God has instilled. And so um, we have to describe it in, and understand it in anthropomorphic ways, um, but we can never like fully perceive his essence. We can never fully perceive what God's independence is. Right? Does that make sense? Is everybody kind of following? Kyle? No, they wouldn't be, because the Trinity, understand, what's the difference between God's independence and his relationship in the Trinity, is God is one. He is self-existent. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. And so he was with God, and so uh, you have to think about independence in context of the Trinity. 
they don't depend on each other in such a way because then God wouldn't be independent and we couldn't claim that he was uh, in any way self-existent. And so his essence is that all three persons of the Trinity are independent because they are one God. And so... They're in unity, but not independence. That's how I describe it. Uh, and so once you understand the Trinity, then you can understand that more fully. And so you can't... <laughs> and so you can't... So just like in the Trinity, you can't fully perceive his essence. What the heck is a Trinity? I can describe it on paper. I can understand it in my head. I could be marveled and worship God. But do I ever fully comprehend it? No. Uh, does it make logical sense? Yes. Um, so that's how I would say that. Yeah, yeah, of one of one substance. Um, so maybe why this is helpful is is because in nature we see an infinite progression of causes, right? Um, we see like in just think about life. Uh, uh, Morgan's having a baby. Baby Asher needed parents to be born, and Asher will grow up and have children, and they need, uh, needed their parents. And there's constantly this infinite progression of causes, of causality, to be begotten and to keep going and to keep going, right? Nobody was, just is. <laughs> right? Uh, nobody is, just is right they needed to be begotten and so we see this infinite progression but in because this will help in maybe apologetics or talking with people or understand or helping people uh when you're evangelizing or whatever is there just can't be there might be able in some theoretical way to be an infinite progression of causes right because we see that in nature but there can't be an infinite regression of causes going backwards right and so that doesn't make any logical sense to say there never was a beginning and there never was one who's self-existent because to cause something to exist or to be begotten in life form, then it has to exist in the first place. And if you keep going back for infinity, you've lost all reason, right? And so that's exactly what we find in Scripture is that there is one eternal, self-existent, independent, uh, who we call God, right? That's what we find. That's what we'd find in that's what we'd find in logic, and that's what we find in the scriptures. It's no, it's no coincidence, right? And so God actually acknowledges our dependence on him. We're going to get to why this matters here in a little bit, but uh, bear with me. So Paul affirms, even though it was a, a Greek poet or philosopher or something in Acts 17, that in him we live and we move and we ha have our being, right? Paul says that even uh, this Greek philosopher uh, got it right. He understood that. Right? We, we have our being. In him, we have to have life. In him, we can only move and cause things. In him, we have to have our being. Right? Uh, Deuteronomy 8.3, God affirms it in another way. Man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by... Right? Every word that comes from or proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Right? That's, that's substance. That's our dependence on him. And so because God is independent, a lot of times... So the difference between communicable and incommunicable attributes is uh, one way to look at it is that we can absorb some of those, or absorb is not a good term, but we can, uh, we can embody or mirror those in a more specific sense. But, but in, the, 
uh, non-communicable attributes, the ones we can't reflect, um, it's because God is independent, that means we are dependent. And so we mirror the exact opposite in how we glorify God. And he says that over and over, right? He says, you could live, you can go on living, eating bread, you can go on living, eating food, and have sustenance, but real life comes from the words of the Lord, right? You don't actually have real life. John 17, 3, Jesus uh, reiterates the, the kind of same thing. That, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. Right? You can have life, you could be alive, but to have eternal life is only to be dependent on the independent one. And so we also see in, uh, in Matthew 5, I think, that God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. We're, de- we're dependent on the sovereign God who gives us everything, absolutely everything, right? Even, even rain. And so why does this matter? Do we just do this theological exercise to be able to write on the test that's next week about God's attributes? There is a test next week. Yeah. No. Uh, no, why does this matter? Because the, the more we go deeper into uh, our orthodoxy and right belief, the more we'll have a right orthopraxy, right? A right, a right living, or how we practice. And so I'll throw it out there to you guys. What's the, what do you do with this knowledge? What do you do with this understanding of God's uh, uh, um, independence? What should you do? What is it? Worship? How so? Yeah, when we think of why, it always leads us back to the one we we rely on. Yeah. Uh, in a very practical sense, I'm going to get to prayer here in a minute. Um, but you guys ever, like, go over to other people's houses for dinner? I'm not naming names here. <laughs> I'm not. You guys probably do the same thing when you come over to my house and you're like, uh, well, how do I say this nicely? Um, <laughs> hold on. Uh, were you ever, like, in a prayer meeting downstairs and, or whatever? Uh, this happens to everybody. We all have off times and we all pray more or less. Uh, theologically accurate, but you ever like hear people's prayers and you're like, huh, that was weird, or <laughs> like, that's kind of like, or one thing here is like, I'll, I'll call it my own kids. Uh, Lily always prays that like, Lord, please help us to have a good day, and I'm like, yeah, good days are good, but uh, like when we pray for our meals, uh, I try to make it a point, like we pray for our meals, like we pray not just because Jesus said that all foods are clean if we pray for them, but, and give thanks for them, but if it didn't rain, if there was no crops, we couldn't eat and we would die. We are totally dependent on God's goodness and grace and his self-sufficiency to give us even things that seem natural that make the world go round, and we should render thanksgiving to him for that, right? And so they should deepen our prayer life. They should deepen uh, and cause you to think about, like, wow, what are all the things that, like, God held together uh, today that are in his essence that if didn't happen, I wouldn't be here? Well, there's uh, probably an infinite supply of things that you can think of, right? Uh, Romans one twenty one. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, if you ever read von Maastricht, he has a nice little section in his systematic theology uh, where he just, he's very 
systematically just says, here's the practical part. Here's what you do. And I like to jump to that sometimes and be like, read that and then come back so I can understand it better. Uh, but that's the whole theory that you know, John and, and has been going through in Romans is the very first part of the gospel is that everybody knows God. Everybody has some knowledge uh, internally or cognitively that God exists. But the problem is that they don't acknowledge him and who he is and his attributes rightly, and therefore they don't give him thanks. And so um, we fall into atheism at that point. And sometimes we live as practical atheists, right? If we come to church every Sunday and we worship and we do this and we walk through the motions, we're actually just living like atheists. We're not living a life full of thanksgiving and acknowledging God, right? We're just living uh, in our little sect of Christianity for the time being, right? Uh, the, the more we honor God, the more we give thanks, right? To honor, to give due, to give glory, like um, maybe we should think about like for 10 minutes, uh, like just all the natural forces that held together so that we can come here and worship him. Maybe we should think about all the things uh, that were that hold the electricity together, yeah. Uh, uh, or just the, or how we all came to be here, right? I like to, th I'm a very relational guy. I like to think about um, everybody in this room. How did we even get here? How did we become friends? How did we become a family, right? God designed and put all those things together. And that wasn't my choice. I probably wouldn't have chosen you guys. <laughs> uh, right? Because... <laughs> because I'm sinful. <laughs> you guys didn't let me finish, right? Uh, right? I would have probably chose to uh, live in my mom's basement and, and suck off the government or something uh, in my own sinfulness. But, but God put it together and orchestrated it. He's the one, and I didn't ask you guys to come to church. Well, some of you might have, but, uh, but I didn't... I didn't ask to be here. God just put me here. Uh, and he aligned all those things. And so when you take, when you remove the process and the, just the kind of natural steps in our life of like not going to honoring and thinking about and giving thanks to God regularly, we fall into practical atheism. We even have to thank God for the electricity that's pretty good and these earpieces that are okay. And so... Um, so God's independence means that we must thank him uh, lest we live like practical atheists. Paul even says in his epistles, I always thank God, and then goes on to say why. Um, Paul even says, I am what I am uh, by the grace of God, but it was, it was, though I worked harder than all of the other apostles, it was not me, but the grace of God at work within me. And so we are completely dependent on God's grace, on God being the first mover. You know, even... Um, you know, and that should affect how we pray. It shouldn't uh, enrich our prayer lives. Uh, it will surely make all of your kids angry uh, because you'll be sitting down for dinner and you'll be thanking God and it'll, you'll just want to keep going and your kids will be like, Dad, can we eat? Uh, and you can then thank you, Lord, for helping us build patience and, and keep going. Um, 
but it should, as you, as you study and as you understand, especially God's independence and how that holds all the other attributes together in a way or helps you understand all those, that he's self-sufficient. He doesn't rely on anyone else. That means we go and we can go directly to him. And so um, uh, that also means that grace uh, would, from God would be purely grace, not merited, not on anything else, that we don't need to add our works or anything into it. It all must therefore be grace because every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? And so if God's the first cause, if he's the first mover, if he's the one that gives and continues to give, it has to always be out of grace. And so that actually is a, is a check on our and on subsequent theologies. And so when you look at um, people in certain camps that emphasize your, your free will and your choice, I believe that but also that God, uh, you know, I think it's in Peter, maybe Second Peter, that he tells us that we should pray for those because God might grant them repentance. It just might be a thing uh, that he would give that. Repentance comes from him. Faith comes from him. Everything comes from him. And so uh, sometimes we live lives of practical atheism in Christianity by um, uh, trying to live separate from him. And so, 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we're constantly bombarded by a world who is captivated by secular humanism. Um, and so we use these things then because there's... Uh, anybody who goes out and evangelizes regularly or talks to people regularly about um, philosophy or eternal things or tries to understand their worldview, you get down pretty quickly to see what their base arguments are and what they're understanding. And if you can help them understand that this is the way it works logically, of there has to be one who is independent, there has to be one who's self-sufficient, there has to be one, it can only be that way or else uh, the whole basis of life and existence would not have existed, then you can lead them into how Scripture uh, says that directly, right? Second uh, Corinthians twelve nine. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. When we are weak, not relying on our own strength, God actually supplies us with power. Uh, when He is the source, we have power. When we are the source, we have lost any power that we thought we had. And so, understanding God's aseity or His independence is to say we understand that about him and we're like the exact opposite. And so his grace is sufficient. Paul affirms that the more I proclaim that I'm weak, the stronger I get, right? That's a little confusing sometimes, right? The more I humble myself and make myself lower, the more God raises up. The, uh, the more I sacrifice or the more I give, the more I'm given back. Right? It's in God's economy, that's how it works. And so, um, so that keeps us in, in the state of always like being humble, coming back to God, uh, enriching our prayers. It gives us a, um, a great basis for apologetics. Um, and so the last one, the last kind of point of how, why this matters or why this helps us is so God calls into existence the things that 
do not exist. And so part of his independence is that he was the self-sufficient one and he created all things. And so therefore, since he is the one, we go to him because we trust and believe by faith that he will continue to call things into existence that don't exist. You guys got it? So uh, Romans 4.17 uh, says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom you believe, who, God, uh, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so constantly we're called to bring things into existence, called to, um, what's that word? that uh, Manifest. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like people are, like there's this weird philosophy in, uh, or worldview or something in today's culture of like, they think that they can just like uh, manifest certain things like wealth and they just like think about it. And I've heard people, I've heard, uh, I don't know, the, the influencers or people who are trying to purport this idea that you could actually just um, say some chants or you can meditate on this thing or like if I want to be rich, I can just meditate on it and I can say it and I can speak it and I am, and what? Name it and claim it, and claim it kind of thing. Of, and it will eventually man itself, itself into existence. Well, think about that for a couple minutes, and that's crazy. Uh, uh, at the very least. Yeah, we're hoping, we're hoping the, our toddlers don't manifest what they say. Or what we say about our toddlers. And so... Um, and so, but because we can't do that, we're dependent on God, but he's constantly causing us and calling us to build the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can we build the kingdom of heaven when we're earthly creatures? Well, uh, is it out of our own power? But, so God's calling us to be people who would rely on him. That's calling things into existence that do not exist. They're not manifested yet. But it's not because we haven't manifested them. It's because God hasn't manifested them yet. But that's what he does. That's part of who he is. And so we get into uh, maybe slumps of times. At least I do. I don't know about you guys. I don't, I don't know what you guys do at home alone uh, or how you feel, unless you tell me. Uh, we get in slumps of time where we might think like we get like depression or anxiety because we're like, wow, all these things like, you know, I'm like, I'm 34. That means I'm six years away from 40. That means that's my midlife crisis. That means my life is almost over, and I've done like almost nothing. And then you get into like, you can keep going down these cycles. And it, it, it right, because in that way of thinking, you're relying on your own strength, your own process, and what you've done. <clears throat> it's not giving, it's not honoring God and giving thanks for him, what he's done. And so we start falling into these these slumps of depression or anxiety or anger or anything that's actually outside of the realm of godly and good when we start focusing on things. And a lot of times that comes from the things that we want to exist but don't, right? Does everybody ever uh, look at what they want to do and how much money that costs and how much money they have, Right? So I'm not saying you should manifest that or whatever, uh, or that God's going to do that. 
but we get this anxiety on when we, think, when we see the things that we want to exist and they don't. That's the simple point of what I'm trying to make, but God's the one who does that, so we have to go to him. And I'm not saying so that you can go to him and name it and claim it, uh, but that he's going to call those things into existence. Like, um, you know, eight or nine years ago, I would have never thought I would be the man I was today. I didn't even think it was possible. Uh, and, you know, that's part of my testimony. But that's what God does is he transforms and he renews and he calls you and your character to come into existence of what doesn't exist yet. Amen. When we're focusing on money and all those things that are secondary or tertiary or fourth airy, uh, what's the word? Quaternary. Uh, to the things of a godly life, that's when we start to get anxiety, and that's when we start to get really, really off base. Um, but, uh, but God's the one who's going to cause our character to change, lead us to repentance, give us more faith, and that means we have to go to him for that. And so hopefully in an understanding, in a deeper understanding of God's independence and his aseity, that that'll enrich our prayer lives, that'll cause us to honor him more, see more things that we should be thankful for, that we would erupt in praise, uh, you know, spontaneously throughout the day. Um, that would not just enrich our prayer lives and how we pray, but how often and what we're praying for, and that would increase uh, our faith or hold fast to the promises of God because he's the one. He's the self-existent one. He's the one that can create. And so with that, uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, we uh, just come to you humbly um, and ask for your grace uh, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we come to worship, that as we study you more, your attributes, as we read your word, that we would, uh, as you promise, have true life, which is found in you, that all life is, is, comes from you, and therefore, the closer we grow to you, the more we have real life. That's what we pray for, Lord. That's what we pray we grow closer through today as we worship uh, as a body uh, here today, through Jesus Christ. Amen.